Discussing Network. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Discussing Trek. Today, we continue our Best of TOS series as we review Season 2, Episode 6 of Star Trek, the original series, The Doomsday Machine. Like always, I'm your host, Clarence, and I'm joined by my fellow co-host, slash Trekkies, starting with none other than Carrie Brown. How you doing, man? I'm good, man. Um, Been a while, but I'm glad to be back giving my noob opinions on TOS, so let's go. Welcome back, man. Thank you. Hey, man, all opinions matter. All opinions matter. <laughs> <laughs> and, then, and the other voice you heard there is Jonathan Shorts. How you doing, man? I'm doing good, man. I'm doing good. I enjoyed a day off today and watched a little bit of Trek. So good day all around. How about yourself? Glad to be back on the podcast as always. But, you know, uh, just just another normal day in the life of Clarence, which is not all of that, that exciting, actually. But I'm glad to, be, <laughs> glad to be back on the podcast. So far in our Best of TOS series, we have reviewed Balance of Terra, Space Seed, The City on the Edge Forever, Amok Time, and tonight we're going to be reviewing the Doomsday Machine. What we do here on this podcast is review each and every episode of Star Trek um, in somewhat excessive detail. In addition to talking all things Trek, please, guys, you can leave a review and also subscribe on whatever podcasting platform you may be currently listening on. And, you know, that's a great way to make sure you do not miss an episode. So I'll leave the floor open here to see if anyone has any news or updates they'd like to dive into. I do have one thing. So there is a Indiegogo campaign uh, launched today, yesterday, today. Don't remember exactly. Anyway, uh, it's the same people <laughs> that did the DS9 documentary that we enjoyed. So and they're trying to get a Voyager documentary. And actually, that was today. And their goal was two hundred and fifty thousand dollars, I do believe. And they've already exceeded that goal. Oh, wow. But the best parts about it is the special perks you get if you contribute to the campaign. Uh, and anything from lapel pins to digital merchandise up to Zoom calls with some of the Voyagers cast. Uh, they even have some DS9 actors uh, doing Zoom calls. So that's pretty good. And you can do what they call away missions with which is trips to different places. I didn't really get into that because I was so interested in Zoom calls. So everybody should check it out. Yeah, man. Yeah, that's cool. Uh, I see you sent me that message earlier today talking about possibly backing this campaign. And uh, yeah, yeah. Pretty cool perks there. I see they have already raised almost half a million dollars, uh, around four hundred thousand dollars with almost four thousand backers. So, yeah, this is freaking amazing. And, you know, hopefully it's the same quality, at least, as the uh, DS9 documentary. And I would love to see some of this Voyager footage in HD uh, because um, they, they, they just stopped remastering at, at, at TNG, which really made me mad. So <laughs> hopefully we can get some <laughs> upscaled Voyager goodness. That would be awesome. So awesome. All right. And Carrie, um, didn't you have some comments about Paramount Plus? Or do you want to wait till we get into the view, review to talk about them? Well, they weren't necessarily about Paramount Plus. They were more about like the actual version of the TOS that's on there. So I'm kind of new, and I'll, I'll save that for the actual discussion because it's relevant to the episodes. But one thing I do want to say is that um, I've been catching up. Like I've I had this huge like 
whatever writer's block is with TV shows where I just I had I hadn't taken the time to catch up on Discovery and I finally have and the rest of the season was amazing. I just want to say that um that's really all I have to say is that I love the season and I can't wait for four. That is awesome, man. Yeah, a lot of people are saying this latest season of Discovery got things back on track. And yeah, yeah, that's good to hear from you, you know, because uh, I think your opinion is more of the person who may not be the diehard person that's ridiculing everything. And, and, you know, we're trying to bring, <laughs> we're trying to bring new people in the fold. And I'm, I enjoyed it myself too. And I think most of us did as well. So I was glad, I'm glad that, I'm glad that it gravitated your way as well. <laughs> yeah, dude. I was kind of iffy until like episode, I think it was episode three. Cause like I went back and started at the beginning and like I was like, I don't know. <laughs> and then episode three, I was like, yes. Yeah. It yeah. Was, it was, it was, it was phenomenal from there on out. I don't know. It's one point I thought we were going to have to put Jeremy off the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> did, I don't know what it was. There was quite a few episodes. He just was like, eh, you know, and I get it. There was some, uh, there was some touchy moments and yeah. some questionable moments and some controversial things, but all in all, I'm I'm in 100% agreement with you, Gary. It was a awesome season. Well, well, I have to ask you this though. Before we move on, I have to ask you: What were your initial feelings on the resolution of the burn? <laughs> that was kind of home home. I mean, honestly, but to, to me, it was more for, more about the ride. But I, I mean, I even when I was on the podcast earlier when we were talking about the burn, I was like, I bet this isn't gonna be <laughs> it's not gonna be that big a deal. I do remember saying that, so. I feel a little bit vindicated. So, yeah. Awesome sauce. So, guys, we're going to get right into our review of Star Trek, the original series, The Doomsday Machine. And I'll read from Wikipedia. The Doomsday Machine is the sixth episode of the second season of Star Trek, written by Norman Spinrad and directed by Mark Daniels. It was broadcast on October the 20th, 1967. The USS Enterprise encounters the wrecked USS Constellation and its distraught Commodore, who's determined to stop the giant planet-destroying robot ship that killed his crew. Spoilers. Red alert. All hands stand to battle station. I'll give you the right. You cannot destroy an idea. At ease before you spray something. So, Cal Jones isn't here. He usually gives us the the comedic, you know, sometimes serious, sometimes comedic beats of the episode. <laughs> <laughs> I will ask John, does he want to do that? Or I have written something in case he does not. Uh, well, you go ahead, sir, if you've already planned it, because I did not plan anything. Well, in true um, Jeff Kanata form, I think my thoughts on the story beast of this episode can best be summed up in the form of a limerick. When a Commodore's crew is lost, he relieves Spock as the boss. Hell bent on revenge, Decker tries to avenge his crew at all costs. So they're nice. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. They also do the limericks on the um, Delta flyers podcast, but I think Jeff Kanata is like the first podcaster I heard do that. He does it all the time <laughs> on the slash film cast. It's freaking hilarious. So she check out, you should definitely check out the slash film cast. If you're on the film reviews and other <laughs> things like that, cause he's, he's freaking amazing. I have a, I have an alternate title for this episode. <laughs> oh, let's have it. Attack of the Giant Wee Wee. <laughs> <laughs> Only you would compare the Doomsday Machine to a giant spacefaring phallus. 
<laughs> you know what's funny about that? The rating on Netflix was TV 14 and it said sex and fear. Are you serious? <laughs> yes. Are you serious? You gotta be kidding. I mean, it's not like I'm making a stretch here. I mean, I'm sure you don't when you saw that thing. It was like, it was like a giant dong. <laughs> <laughs> oh god you know i look i watched i was looking at that when it was going like when the credits are starting to roll and it was showing the writing at the top and i said i didn't remember seeing anything sexual but i guess i was wrong <laughs> oh boy seven-year-old boy and all of us <laughs> so uh carrie um what are your thoughts your overall thoughts on the episode man Okay, so, like, before I get to that, I just want to ask you guys a question. It's directly related to the episode. So, I know with the Star... I'm a big Star Wars guy, and we have these Star Wars, quote-unquote, purists who are so upset that George Lucas went back and, like, added CG stuff. Like, one of my friends was even getting mad about the CG X-Wing scene in, in episode four, which to me is, like, one of the coolest scenes in the whole thing that he redid. It looks amazing. Um... What are your thoughts on all this? The like, I watched the Paramount Plus version, and I was like, kind of thrown off by the CG. Like, is when did they go back and put CG in TOS? So I think they went back in the early aughts and remastered all the TOS, which they remastered um, TNG as well. But I don't think they added as much, or maybe even any CG to uh, the next generation. It's, I think it's fine. There are definitely points you can tell, like, okay, this looks nothing like anything they could have done back in the 60s. Yeah, like, I was wondering, like, the whole episode, I just found myself wondering, like, I wonder what this big giant um, monster thing, I don't want to say it again, but I was wondering what this thing looked like in the original episode, because it, yeah. Because it's mm. funny, because, like, at the beginning of the episode, when they when they were talking about what happened, I was like, man, you know what, you know what, if, like, this episode was a Discovery episode, there would have been a whole, uh, a teaser, the teaser of the entire episode would have been this ship getting ripped apart in, like, beautiful CG, and then, like, I noticed, like, it, I didn't really notice it at first, but then, like, as the episode went on, I'm like, wait a minute, there's CG in this, like, yeah. what? Yeah, definitely. I'm trying to find a picture of the original I think it looks pretty faithful to what the original looks like from what I'm looking from these pictures I'm looking at now. Okay. Um, well, that's cool. Definitely that's cool. not as snazzy, I would say, but I'm looking <laughs> at like a model of it and it looks like they got it pretty, pretty well on the first go round, I would say. I think I'm noticing more in the ships and the planets. Um, yeah. Like the last episode we reviewed, which is a mock time, there's a scene that, that they have on Vulcan to where they pull back. You're like, there's no way they could do that in the 60s. <laughs> but, but I think for some of the scenes, especially in the, the TOS episodes I went back and watched, I noticed noticing some of them, like if they're standing on a set, they will take that image and shrink them down and then add a whole big landscape behind them. Uh, oh, wow. Which, you know, I, I think they've done a pretty decent job on it, but maybe that's a question we need to throw out to either Lee or, um, or our friend Matthew, which are both TOS purists. So. <laughs> yeah, I was wondering what the hardcore thought about it. Yeah, <laughs> see, and that, and I, I can't really give an opinion on it because, like this particular episode, is the first time I've ever seen it, so I have no comparison. But just on the outside looking, looking in, it looked good to me as well. Yeah, it was tasteful. It wasn't, it wasn't over the top, and I was kind of thankful for that. It, I mean, they only put what was necessary, right? So I could appreciate that. 
And like it was never in my face, like, oh god, yeah. look at the CG. You know what I mean? It, it, I never thought about it. Right. <laughs> but like as far as the episode itself, um, there were a couple moments where I was chuckling to myself, um, from cheesy lines, but like I thought overall the story was pretty good. Um, I just I don't know, like knowing William Shatner and how like egocentric he is and just watching him like overact on some of these scenes is just hilarious to me. Um but as far as the episode itself, I really enjoyed it. I mean, it was, it was, I mean, it, it exceeded my expectations. I wasn't expecting much, honestly, going in. The fighting was super cheesy, though. But other than that, like, it was, it was good. <laughs> he definitely had a few moments where he was like hamming it up, shaming sh- style. <laughs> Tell me what happened. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that. I was like, Tell what? Us what happened? <laughs> <laughs> like, you can't even. St- can't even keep his eyes open. You shaking them. What happened? <laughs> John, what, what are your thoughts, man? Um, so overall, a, a good episode. Um, not much to complain about. Uh, there was one part, one acting part closer to the end, and we'll get into it. That just <laughs> was overacted to me, and it wasn't William Shatner. I know but, what you're talking about already. <laughs> <laughs> and it seemed to drag on. But, I mean, overall, it was good, man. There, there. I wish there had been a little more into the story of it. Maybe. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, overall, it was good. Like, I mean, you you have to think this is what the beginning of a season close to. So, I mean, it, I, I think it was good for what it was. Yeah. And and we'll get into it. But I definitely see what you're saying about, you know, we kind of say what the doomsday device is, but we don't really get any backstory. And I think that's fine for this episode. We don't really get any lore or anything about, you know, where it came from or stuff that they would probably give us in a newer you know, version of Star Trek. Right. It was like one of those I like to call filler episodes. So getting into the, the breakdown of the episode, the Enterprise discovers Carnage and, you know, goes to help a ship in need. And starting off, first thing to jump out at me was, where's your hero? I mean, they have this Lieutenant Palmer <laughs> at the communications console. I was really surprised by that. It's kind of kind of threw me off a little bit. Yeah, that hmm. was. Now that you mention it, that was a bit odd. I didn't think too much about it until you said it, though. But yeah, you're right. She was nowhere to be found. <laughs> yeah, it just just felt weird. Maybe she had another uh, acting gig or something. She was doing. <laughs> and not in that time, I doubt it. <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> so Spock discovers that that the solar solar system has been destroyed with nothing left but rubble and asteroids, and. Once, you know, he said that this solar system once contained several planets um, and we kind of figure out that there's something destroying these planets. And, you know, like we eventually get that it's going to wreak havoc throughout most of the, the galaxy they're in where most life is living. I just want to ask, like, John, I know you are a trick story in here. Um, has there ever been anything to that level in later Trek? that you know of that's just like solar system destroying other than like maybe a supernova, which they did mention in this episode when they're talking about it. The closest thing I could come up with. And I thought about this as I was watching the episode and it's not exactly the same, but you remember 
It was a Voyager episode. I don't remember the title, but it was the guy that was trying to repair well, trying to alter the timeline so that his home planet still exists. So, mm. like, whatever his that ship he had would, like, destroy planets or multiple planets yeah. in order to cause a time ripple to change the course of time. Yeah, the time incursions. He was trying to. Yeah. Yeah, that was a good one, actually. Yeah, because he was trying to get his family back. Right. And one small Which, change, of course, butterflies is going to affect uh, everything after it. I give him a little credit. I mean, I give that episode a little credit because, I mean, at least he had a goal in mind. Like, I, I just and again, part of the not having enough story, like this thing is just blowing up planets and eating them. And, you know, I'd be even better if it was like a biological something. But this was supposedly be machinery. That was built for that reason. So, like, why? Oh, it was plenty biological. <laughs> Stop it. Stop. Stop it. Well, let me ask you this, Carrie. Like, Kirk makes a comparison to, like, the H-bomb. Um, do you think those comparisons were really apt in this situation? I don't know. Like, I have mixed feelings about that because to me, that ties into one of the big problems I had with this whole episode was that you have what is effectively what I like to call an anime, anime, manga universe as a planet buster. And that is something that can destroy a whole planet. Like, that's how powerful it is. Like, Goku and Vegeta are planet busters because they can just blow planets up. So, you mean to tell me blowing up one ship? destroyed this thing that can just tear planets apart like that was i mean i i get what they were going for there but it just seemed a little hollow i don't know i just figured it would have taken more to destroy this doomsday machine than just blowing up a ship even though you know i know it set off the as kirk said the h-bomb effect yeah um but it it just seemed it seemed a little i don't want to say cheap but i just I didn't think it would. It didn't satisfy me the way they ended. Like the dramatic, the drama of it was great, but I, it, I just thought it was going to take more. But you know, that's they kind of had to use what what they had, I guess. Yeah, I think my main hangup with that is if they really made the point that this thing has this hard exterior and that you have to really blow it up from the inside out, which it makes sense. But the fact that his mouth is pretty much open the whole time, kind of. And why did it just decide to not shoot them? Yeah. Let it into the <laughs> yeah, most sensitive that. part of the entire machine. <laughs> like, but I get it though. I get it. Yeah. So they find this ship and Kirk leaves Spock in command and he, McCoy, Scotty, and a few others travel over to the constellation. <laughs> they find no survivors, no bodies either. And it seems the crew has left. I love Scotty's, you know, initial diagnostic of what's going on. He's like, the warp drive is a hopeless pile of junk. (laughs) (laughs) And and he thinks he can get Impulse back online. And and Kirk and the away team find uh, who we come to know as Commodore Matt Decker in the ship's auxiliary control room. So this is this a major part of this episode. And we mentioned it before. Decker. And his mental breakdown of the entire situation. I mean, of course, he's killed his crew. So, you know, he's going to feel bad about that. But I don't know if I've ever seen a captain this broken. And I'm going to throw that out. Do you know of a time that we've seen a captain go this crazy? 
Oh, uh, so you have it may have been a Voyager or it may have been a TNG. Uh, Captain Ramsey, maybe. Anyway, he had the he would he was experimenting with these subspace aliens to power his ship. And they would tear through subspace and like eat them a lot, eat people or something. Gosh, what episode? That was a Voyager episode. Anyway, he he got to the point. It, it was Voyager because they were stranded in the Delta Quadrant as well. Uh, but they were trying to get back. They were running low on power reserves. And they found that these species, if they could incorporate it into their warp core, it would provide power. But they didn't expect these species to start fighting back. And he was just on a mad quest to destroy these aliens and keep enough of them to power his ship, like to the point of madness. But nah, what was it? I don't remember that. Yeah, fate was it? It was an Equinox, was it? Yes, 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 Equinox. Yeah, I vaguely remember those episodes. But yeah, it's had Captain Janeway kind of having to go up one of her own, go against one of her own. Yeah, which is really crazy. Um, yeah, I mean, seeing Decker, you know, <laughs> Kirk asks him, you know, he asks him, you know, what's going on? What happened? He just like, I, the way he breaks down is just so freaking hilarious and painful <laughs> to watch at the same time. Carrie, I think you made a comment on it earlier. Like, what what are your thoughts on him just being, Bones calls it a state of shock. What, what, what are your thoughts on that? I, I I get it from a certain aspect, but I I just the way he was acting, I assumed that there was something psychological going on with this enemy because at the time you don't know really know much about what happened. So I was assuming it was some kind of like deviant alien race that was maybe like you know jacking into his mind or something. But I don't know. I I, I thought that it was a little over the top considering what happened. Even after I found out what happened, I feel like. If you're a seasoned grizzled captain, um, you beaming your crew down to a planet and the planet blowing up, I feel like you would you should be able to hold it together a little better than that. <laughs> but <laughs> you know, if he now if some alien beamed on the ship and then murdered all his crew in front of him and he had to watch or something, I could see him being like, <laughs> but it just I don't know. It seemed a little little much. Oh man, yeah, it it was definitely over the top, and you know who 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 knows how I'll react in that situation. And it just it lasted too long. I think was the problem. Like I would have been okay with the reaction, other than we just stuck with it too long. Yeah, but I also think it informs how he acts for the rest of the episode. So maybe that's why it was so important to establish that he was kind of going mad over the situation. So, so Spock analyzes the tapes from the constellation and reveals that, of course, we talked about this, this, this doomsday machine, a self-sustaining automated weapon of immense power. Like I said before, it's presently on a course of the most densely populated parts of the galaxy. John, real quick, we saw Decker's emblem. I think this is a thing of TOS where everybody is not really wearing the Starfleet emblem we see from the Enterprise's uniforms. But I think each ship in, in back in these days had pretty much their own kind of emblem. Did that jump out at you? It did. And like I said, I'm not real familiar with TOS, but the Commodore title usually means a, it's it's a, it's a little more than captain. Like it's almost like not quite admiral, maybe like rear admiral. Mm-hmm. 
So they it's a different rank. Uh, and I Googled it and it basically says a Starfleet flag officer. So I think may and I I just kind of assume that's why it was different. Interesting. Interesting. That could be it. That definitely could be it. Because I know I've seen on different episodes of of people having different emblems. Um, but yeah, that's, that's de- definitely a great explanation for it. Um, so Kirk sends Decker over to the Enterprise with McCoy, <laughs> after which they soon find the Doomsday Machine is pursuing the Enterprise. And, you know, they have the constellation and the tractor beam at this point. So my next question here was, what do you think of the look of the Doomsday Machine? I think we pretty much covered that. <laughs> no, no need Sorry. to re-space-treading that space warp. <laughs> but interesting thing here, we find that the warp drive is attracting the machine. I, and they get out of the first little skirmish. And I love Spock's quote here. And Spock has all the best quotes in this episode, if you ask me. He does. He does. He says, random chance has seemed to operate in our favor. <laughs> and then Bones is like, you mean we're lucky. <laughs> that was the greatest. And, you know, you know, Spock is doing a good job. He's trying to make the the most calculated judgments that we are known that Spock tends to make in the best interest of all parties. But things start to take a turn when Commodore Decker challenges Spock's command in an effort to attack the machine. Um, throwing this out to either one of you, what, what do you think of Decker's challenge of Spock's command? Man, I thought Spock was about to cold cock that dude. <laughs> he was looking at him like he wanted to rip his head off. <laughs> yeah. Death pinch. Death pinch. <laughs> I, just, I was waiting for it. Like when he turned his head. He turned his head at one point when he went and sat in the chair. I was like, Spock's about to get him. But, no. He, he, uh, was, he was logical. He did not succumb to emotion. Which is what, you know, what makes Spock so great. You know, he, he sticks to logic. Yeah, I think for me, like what was so interesting about that scene is that Spock it wasn't on the away team. So he didn't see the scream of madness that we saw <laughs> a few <laughs> minutes prior on the Constellation. And True. you kind of have McCoy there trying to, you know, like, you know, we can't let this guy, you know, take over the ship because he saw, you know, he saw firsthand what what um Decker, the state that he was in, which. It helped me out here, John. I, I thought that would be reason enough that McCoy could evaluate his current condition on the fly and say, like, oh, no, you, you can't you can't have command. I see what kind of state you're in. Did that did that seem odd to you that he just he tried. But, you know, there's still protocol. I don't remember those protocols being an issue before in Star Trek. So thoughts on that? It, it came as a surprise to me that that was my assumption that McCoy was like, you're unfit. And he did say that. And. You know, n- lack of doesn't mean that it doesn't exist. I mean, we've seen this happen a few times, but I mean, so basically what Spock pointed out was you could do this, but you also have to have records to show it when asked. And maybe in all the other situations we've seen this happen, that those records were asked for. And we just, I mean, that's just part of the story we don't know. Yeah, no, I, I, t- I totally get it. And I actually loved how Decker actually uses the regulation against <laughs> against Spock. He's like, Mr. Spock knows his duty on the regulations. Doctor, do you? Do you? <laughs> like, oh, burn, burn. Oh, man. Like, I, I just, I was a bit disappointed at this whole plot development because I would think that Starfleet 
would have figured out that they would need some kind of contingency for a captain who just had a traumatic experience. Like there should be some kind of like waiting period yeah. before they can, yeah, something. Before they could just. Well, at the same time, like Clarence pointed out, they didn't know Spock and McCoy didn't know about the traumatic experience per se. Well, McCoy did. Spock didn't. Well, I mean, yes, but you just you just rescued the sole survivor of a wrecked ship. Like you right. should know that he's not going to be in the best mental state. Like it, because like even before he takes command, he's like Spock report or something. And I was like, why is he get, what? what? <laughs> Like, I understand he's a Commodore, which is, like, I think between, like, a, a captain and an admiral. But, like, like I don't understand why everybody's just, like, like dude, you need to, like, get, you need to be evaluated. Like, he should have had some kind of, like, medical evaluation, you know? He he just sent his compliment, his crew to a rock, to a planet, to be destroyed. <laughs> and then he's all like, what's Kirk do get on his ship? He's like, you're supposed to go this down with ship. the ship, don't you? <laughs> this is my ship. Now that you mention it, when McCoy, when they were on the Constellation, McCoy did scan him. Yeah, he did. He did. And technically, that's in the record. So He said he he's have. in shock, too. Right. He said that, you know, from his first evaluation. So being in shock sounds like it should be enough to. Well, maybe if McCoy was as logical as Spock, we would have never had this problem. Right. <laughs> But now so, I do get why the crew would, I get why the crew would follow the orders. I mean, it, it was, like you think about it, like in military, and I've never been in military. I did a, but it's a lot like of ROTC. should have asked but, him if he was all right. Like, there, yeah. there's none of that. Just like, he's just sole survivor on the bridge. Nobody but if you're wins. in, if you're, a, if you're in the army, you're an enlisted officer in the army and a four-star general walks in and start ordering people around, do you question him? Well, if he just got off a ship where he was the only survivor, <laughs> yeah, I do question him. <laughs> So you're you're on your navy aircraft carrier. You 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 find another aircraft carrier that's completely destroyed in the middle of the ocean, and on that whole big entire ship, there's only one survivor, and he ranks above you. And like nobody, people are gonna be asking him if he's okay, especially if he gets on a bridge and starts barking orders. Like, come on. Mm, yeah. I don't. I mean, I've I've I I have a lot of friends that have been in military, and I mean through ROTC, and then just movies you watch. It's just like part of what makes our military work, and what makes most militaries work is, and also kind of a flaw is blind following of orders. Well, there's chain of command, but I mean, you follow the chain of command, but I mean. <sighs> At the same time, there's contingency. Like our military has contingencies. You just yeah. can't. You know, if if you are mentally incapacitated and it's obvious that you are, like there there are there are contingencies. You know, there were even contingencies on this episode. But you know, we'll, I guess we'll get to that later. Especially when you have a doctor kind of advising it on the bridge. So yeah, and of course, to not to anyone's surprise, <laughs> Decker almost gets the Enterprise destroyed. <laughs> <laughs> Fire! Fire! <laughs> we must fight to the death. Oh boy! And, and Kirk has to kind of save him there from from getting destroyed. Which oh what man! What are you doing to my ship? <laughs> that that was my favorite part of the episode. What did he say? Like, say it again. He's like, you dummy! What are you doing to my ship? <laughs> oh boy! Oh man, Kirk! Kirk looked like he wanted to curse him out when he saw that when his when his monitor came up. <laughs> He's yeah. like, "What are they doing?" <laughs> oh man, it'd have been just so great to see Kirk transport to the ship and like punch him <laughs> and knock him out. <laughs> Get out of my oh, chair! God. Oh man! Oh god! Like, 
I don't know where we are in the episode, but dude, that fight, oh my god. Well, well, well let, 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 let's get to it. We'll get to it in just a second. So, at, at Kurt's order, and due to Decker's recklessness, you know, almost getting the ship destroyed, uh, Spock is able to regain command of the Enterprise. And again, I love Spock's response to Decker. Vulcans never bluff. Great, great, awesome. <laughs> and the, com- mm-hmm. the Commodores will leave. Yeah, but of course, he's still up to his shenanigans. And um, before we get to the shuttlecraft, Kara, you want to talk about the, this this classic TOS fight? Oh, so I like I always lambast the fight between Kirk and that monster alien dude. Where the they're gar. like, but I, <laughs> but I understand why. Like, because this is before the era of Bruce Lee and Jackie Chan and like actual choreographed fights. So like, this is what fight scenes looked like back then. So I understand that. But oh my god, is it cheesy? Like. <laughs> Like, I was just grinning and, and giggling the entire time. <laughs> like, I was like, I've never seen anybody fight like that. Like, anybody. Like, I've seen, like, toddlers fight better stop than... Stop it. Stop <laughs> it. <laughs> stop it. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, man. But it's it's part of the era, though. So, it does have its own charm, honestly. Like, I, I get the, the, the charm in it, but it's just like, oh, my God. Like... Yeah. And and for me, because I had seen this episode before, I really didn't even pay attention to the fight this time. <laughs> John, what are, you, what are your thoughts on the what fight? What are they doing? Oh, they're fighting. <laughs> you know, I've learned through watching a lot of Trek not to expect much from fight scenes. Well, dude, see, my problem is the first fight I saw on a Star Trek was seven to nine beating all those people up. So, like, yeah, that was like a action movie compared to this. <laughs> but, and I, I I don't remember the one you're talking about. I probably will, but I, the Rock was in it actually. She oh yeah, yeah, episode. yeah. Now that was good fighting, but that that's because the episode was revolved around that. I think, but I mean, just yeah. like the everyday episode where there's other things going on, the, all of the fight scenes are they pretty much go the same way. Like <laughs> somebody grabs them and they do the little backwards elbow. And then they do the little two-hand thing to the gut, and then the two-hand thing to the back of the neck, and it's over with. It's like they fight. They fight like William Shatner talks. Like that's <laughs> <laughs> all right. It's always like a three or four hit combo, and it's done. And I've gotten used to that, so I don't expect much from fight scenes. <laughs> Touche. Well, let's talk about some more crazy from Decker. Decker's decision to take on the Doomsday Device head-on. <laughs> shuttlecraft what were you thinking i mean very much the kamikaze-esque approach but one in which there's no possibility of taking this thing out and i i guess that kind of goes to you know the very beginning of the episode he was he was always on a suicide mission i mean he was going to take the enterprise down with him yeah and it's unfortunate because he seemed like an okay dude other than, you know, want to get everybody murdered. <laughs> I just don't uh, get what he, like, after you shoot it the first 10 times and nothing happens, what are you expecting? Yeah. Let's go for another pass. <laughs> like, even even in a Turn state around. of revenge, you need results from what you're doing to continue. I just don't see how this guy was ever a captain. I mean, or a commodore, excuse me. He was above a captain. So, like, I don't, I don't understand how that happened. Well, I mean, even, even Kirk says, I mean, I love this part of the episode, actually. Kirk says everybody makes mistakes, but 
in a sense, he's saying this doesn't have to define you. You know, you can come back from this. But like a lot of us, once we make a huge mistake, um, and this is, might be the biggest of them all, if nobody can make, but he just, he just feel there's no coming back to that, back from that, excuse me. And I guess there's a lot to think about when you think about, you know, what the character is going through in that sense. And, you know. Yeah, that's true. Well, I think even Decker knew that this was this mistake went past that. Like it, Kirk was saying that just to stop him from killing himself. But I think everybody involved, including Decker, knew that this was just way beyond crazy. Like he knew if he came back from this, like he would be laughed at at least. <laughs> stop it! Stop it. <laughs> really, I just. I, just, I, I don't you don't come back from that mistake and I, I not the mistake of losing his crew I get how that happened but this whole path of revenge against like it's just a certain point and then you tried to take command of a ship and you tried to argue logic with a Vulcan and it, it's just yeah, yeah he knew better he knew it yeah not only did he get his ship killed but he, he tries to get the Enterprise killed in the process which that's just taking it too far but I don't know if you guys have watched the show for all mankind on Apple plus, but there's a similar instance as far as, as far as somebody going crazy. Um, and they, I like the way they deal with it on that show as well. But you see Kirk, even after all of that, he tries, he, it seems as if he's telling Spock, he's going to try to document it or log it as, you know, to try to make it, try to soften the blow, you know, even post his death, you know, and I found that interesting. And you do see that happening a lot where in different television and, you know, other media, they just try to soften the blow a little bit because they really, really thought Decker was a good person before he started going nuts. Yeah, I mean, it can happen to anybody. Just like a Toby Mc- Toby McGuire on that Brothers movie. Like, you know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we're all capable of it if the right, you know, scenario is triggered. So, But it is true that Decker's Sacrifice is key because the sensors indicate that the minute drop in power from the machine and they figure out that the shuttlecraft's explosion may have, you know, minutely affected the machine's power. And Kirk is like, oh, a bigger bomb. (laughs) 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 And he proposes using a constellation. I'm just thinking about like that that storybook cheesy made for TV movie countdown at the end, like. Yeah, I that one didn't bother me too much, actually, because what I appreciate, I appreciate that. And I don't I've argued to this. I argued with you with this on, on Discovery. They showed me instead of telling me. So <laughs> well, that's true. So because they, they could have easily just said the transporters are malfunctioning and then we counted down to them beaming Kirk out. But they went the great lengths to first show us Scotty having trouble coming over. You're right about that. Yeah. So all of that could have been a line of dialogue, but they went to show us. And I I really appreciated that in episode because, of course, it went down to the wire. But they actually gave us some stakes in it by showing us it malfunctioning before. So, like I said, I really appreciated that in the home stretch. Yeah, I'll lighten up on that point because you're absolutely right. You know, they could have just, and that's one of the cool things that I, I, um, I took from this episode where in this case they didn't do it, 
Um, especially early on when they were, you know, when they were setting the story up and there was a lot of exposition, a lot of the exposition, you could tell like when somebody was watching this show in the sixties that you, you would have had to have used your imagination because like we've grown up seeing sci-fi stuff. So it's not that much of a stretch for us, but they went into like some painstakingly painstaking detail in a dialogue at the beginning um, to try to kind of frame the episode, especially when they were talking about what happened to the previous crew that died. Um, and I was just thinking that entire time, like if, if I was watching this in 1967, I would really have to use my imagination and they're, they're trying to kind of pull you along with the dialogue. So I, I really did appreciate that about it. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it definitely like in today's show, they would have showed us the, the, maybe the attack or so, you know, they would have showed us that beginning. But they kind of yeah. kind of worked with what they had. I do like what I'm assuming is a redress of engineering. They made it look battered. I don't know if they built a whole new set for that, but I, I loved I loved that, and I loved like the um, auxiliary control room, which was pretty cool. It reminded me a lot of the Battle Bridge <laughs> from TNG. <laughs> oh man, yeah, that was cool. Yeah, a lot of moving Lego blocks around there. The end. <laughs> and 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 and. Um, and, and this is the episode that made me because I really never compared Mr. Scott or Scotty to Chief O'Brien. Yeah. But he really, really reminded me of uh, or Chief, I guess Chief O'Brien reminded me of him in this episode um, because that's the type of feats that, you know, the engineer has all the pressure down the stretch. And, and certainly Mr. Scott had all it in, in this one. Yeah, he was he was pretty good. I, I That was something else that stuck out to me was just. His his ability in a crisis situation and it just kind of went beyond a trained Starfleet engineer like this was more, as you say, you know, you see O'Brien, he he's kind of it's almost instinct more than training. Yeah. And you see a lot of that here. And and Mm -hmm. also they did another cool thing where to build the dramatic tension and they actually, you know, they actually did this in the last season of, of Discovery when they eject the warp core and then spore out of the Viridian's uh, inner chamber, they don't show mm-hmm. us that they got away immediately. And they kind of did that to us in this episode. They showed the explosion and then they show us, oh, well, Kirk got beamed in eventually. <laughs> I, I thought that was a good way to build up dramatic tension at the very end. Yeah, I really did appreciate that. I'll, I'll, I'll say that even though I thought the countdown was cheesy, the way they ended it, um, it was it was really cool the way they ended it. Speaking of cheesy... Uh-oh. Can we can we talk about Decker's death flight? <laughs> you want to talk about overacting? <laughs> and it was like lasted for like an hour. He, was like, oh. he, went, he, went, out, he went out like a punk man. <laughs> oh man! Stop it. Like he should have just closed the windows or something. <laughs> Lower the blast shields. I mean, he did everything gangsta up until that point. He beat up a red shirt. He jacked the ship. He was like, "I'm, I'm, I'm gonna ram this thing from the." Oh, let me not say that. <laughs> but like, he was gangsta up until like he actually got to the to the to the tip, and then he was like. <laughs> Hey, who took that shuttle? <laughs> oh my god! Like I was like, dang man, you could have went out like a soldier in a yeah. blaze of glory. Instead, uh, you went out like Urkel or something. Got scared at the tip. 
Yeah, I mean, like you guys said, that's just kind of the acting of the time. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't, I wasn't too hard on him, but yeah, that was over the top, even by, by any standards. Um, that was terrible. Yeah. Man. Oh, man. <laughs> well, I guess we're at the point where we can give our, on a, on a scale of one to five, um, our ratings of this episode. And, you know, this in our, it is in our best of TOS list. So, um, well, before you do that, I want to point out one thing I, I found through some reading. Uh, Matthew Decker had a son, William Decker, who was slated to take over the new refitted Enterprise after Kirk in the motion picture. Interesting. Oh, really? Which is pretty cool. Interesting. Was he actually in the motion picture? Yeah. Oh, cool. I got to go back and watch it again. I do, too. I I don't remember it. It was the part. They had one part where there was this big ship thing that was actually alive and something. But anyway, it was a way mission and Decker was going to go on it. And Kirk said, told him, you know, hey, you may be the captain, but I have more experience, basically. Yeah. um, That's very, very, very interesting. Um, I love the callbacks they do to the TV series in those movies. Yeah, <laughs> oh, I hope they gave him proper mental evaluation before getting command. <laughs> <laughs> He's probably fearful of any long cylindrical object. <laughs> oh man! Oh boy! <laughs> so on the technical front, let me. Uh, can you please tell me how that thing fell down after it died in the vacuum of space? Like, how did it fall work? down? I thought it just like went limp. <laughs> Wait. No. 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 Now, Clarence, this is a family podcast. No. Hey, the writing said it. It's cool. <laughs> that was perfect. TV 14. That was amazing. <laughs> I give you five stars for that comment. Oh, man. Five stars. Oh, you're getting a five? Wait, hold on. What are, what are, oh, yeah, let's do ratings. No, let's- I was giving your comment five stars. Oh, my comment. Um, as far as the episode, I don't know. It, I, I enjoyed it, you know, so I can't just dog it. But, you know, I don't think it was the best TOS episode I've seen. Um, But it de- definitely wasn't the worst either. I mean, it's like it was like the... Olive Garden of Star Trek episodes. Like, it wasn't amazing, but it wasn't bad. So, I give it like a three. Yeah. Uh, John? Uh, so, I agree, I agree with Carrie. It, it, it wasn't bad. It wasn't great. Uh, like I said, I, I kind of felt like it was more of one of those filler episodes. Like, maybe there was a big story arc that ended before it, and we were having to build to the next. So, we kind of needed something in between. Um. But there was a lack of story or a lack of background on the Doomsday device. And I think that kind of held back the entire show for me. So I would have to go with 3.5. Yeah, I think I'm going to hit it at a 3.5 as well. But but you know what? I mean, this is going to throw you for a loop here. Uh, Speaking of Matthew Decker or Matt Decker. There is a screenshot, if you remember, from season one of Discovery, when they show Pike, Giorgio, and uh, Robert April, and Jonathan Archer. Guess who mm-hmm. the fifth name of decorated captains is on that list? 
No. Was it? <laughs> Matthew Decker. <laughs> now this is before. Now, now remember, remember he's he's probably a captain at this time. And what happens next? Well, that's true. This, that's true. Yeah, th- this whole scenario we're, watch- we're watching now happens after. Right. So he hasn't hit rock bottom. That was in the good days. Oh, man. Before the music died. <laughs> but yeah, that's crazy. <laughs> it's kind of cool, but it's crazy as well. <laughs> Be- before the dark times. That is crazy. Because I really didn't get the reference at the time while we were watching, uh, when we were watching Discovery. Old Decker. But yeah. Yeah. That, that pretty much wraps it up for us, guys. And with that, Let's go around the horn and see what everybody has been working on podcast later. Otherwise, or anything else you want to shout out? Let's start with you, Care. Okay, guys. Um, I am reviving a classic .com era Dragon Ball site called Planetnemic. Planetnemic.com. Um, right now, we don't have anything on the site. It's just a splash page with a link to a mailing list. So if you're <laughs> interested in finding out when the site will be up, join a mailing list, and we'll see you later. Also... We will be bringing Techpedition back soon, if you're wondering. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. And also on the Techpedition front, I did relaunch the website. <laughs> Very nice. <laughs> with the with the same scheme that we have for the other discussing websites. So, uh, yeah, you can check that out at techpedition.com as well. Uh, John, do you have anything you've been listening to, watching that you want to shout out, man? Um, Man, not really. Hadn't had much time. I'm... Listening to another audiobook called Finding Ultra by Rich Roll. I've kind of become moderately obsessed with these endurance athletes and people that kind of push their bodies to greater extents than they thought were capable. So uh that's Finding Ultra by Rich Roll. It's pretty good. And what else? What else? What else have I watched? Oh, I tell you what's good. Uh JRE podcast, Joe Rogan. His latest interview with Elon Musk. It's a oh must God. listen. <laughs> it's pretty it's a, good. Did, did you say it's a must listen? I say must <laughs> listen. Must <laughs> really. I got you. <laughs> does he smoke another? Does he smoke another doobie? No, on no, no, no. <laughs> oh, he didn't do that. I think Shellholders he, weren't too happy about that. Hey, it, it granted him. It caused Joe Rogan's podcast to like exponentially grow yeah oh dude his podcast was huge before that well it grew even more than that like that's how he like spotify is going to start adding i've already started with he is adding video support so and comment comment page to the videos and the podcast and it's because of that episode like joe rogan told him listen because you know joe rogan's podcast went exclusively to spotify yeah, but he told yeah, they him, paid him millions of dollars. Yeah. <laughs> but he told he told him, listen, guys, when I did, when Elon Musk smoked weed on my podcast, like <laughs> <laughs> that, that video caused like this many people to subscribe and all like that. That was the reason. So from that, uh, Spotify decided that they were going to support video on their platform. So he didn't smoke weed on this one, but he had a lot of insight. There's a lot he's planning on doing. And I like his insight on things. I just like the way he thinks about things. But it was a good conversation all the same. And next coming up in our best of TOS, uh, we have The Journey to Babel, which uh, is this episode that I don't remember anything about. So that should be interesting to have a back into that one. 
But yeah, thank you all for joining. What are your thoughts on this episode? Did we give it short shrift? Is there a point that we missed? Were we t- being a little insensitive to some of the hilarity of the acting? Please let us know by hitting us up at Discussing Trek on all of the social medias or send in mail to fans at DiscussingTrek.com. Like always, guys, thank you for joining. And until next time, live long and prosper. Thanks for listening to the Discussing Trek podcast. For more information, go to DiscussingTrek.com slash subscribe. Hey guys, it's Sergio from Reality Breached. We've got a bunch of different podcasts over on our network at realitybreached.com, and one of my favorites is Shellheads, a TMNT podcast. Shellheads is a deep dive into the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles in ways you've never heard before. From the early comic days to the current Nick show, nothing is off limits. Jeff from the Warp Zone Arcade joins me to binge watch and power read through a comprehensive library of TMNT fandom. Check Shellheads out on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. For more details, visit realitybreached.com. Discussing that word.